Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Thanks for taking some time to join me for this episode of the HPO podcast. For this episode, I am joined by Ryan Dreyer. I became interested in Ryan for a couple reasons. One, he dips his toes into a variety of endurance events from ultra marathons to triathlons, all while maintaining a small business. Secondly, along with this, he is very interested in nutrition. What sparked my interest around Ryan's nutrition is he took the time to do some self-experimentation around a plant-based approach versus an animal-based approach, complete with labs. He wrote about his experience, highlighting the positives and negatives that he personally experienced with both of these approaches. So we spent some time diving into this and what his personal takeaways were. If interested, you can find more information about Ryan, his consultation services, blog, and ebooks at ryandreyer.net. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting the show. If you wish to support monetarily, you can find links to my Patreon page or PayPal link in my website at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO or in the links in the show notes. If you wish to support the show non-monetarily, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platforms and YouTube goes a very long way. All right, let's welcome Ryan and dive into this episode. Ryan, thanks for taking some time today and coming on the show. Yeah, no problem, Zach. Thank you for having me. Uh, Super excited to be chatting with you here. Um, I love following all that you do in the ultra space and all the uh, awareness that you've brought to low carb lifestyles. So certainly been influenced by you and your efforts a bit um, on some of the recent nutrition challenges that I've taken a dive into uh, and happy to be here and chat more on them all. Cool. Yeah, no, I think we'll have a fun chat. Uh, I I think we should probably start though with just a little bit of an intro about kind of who you are in general too, because I think you kind of have an interesting backstory too, where uh, I think if people look at you now and they think, oh, you know, Ryan is you know, training for this long race or he's focusing on fitness, they just probably assume that's been something that has been on your radar from day one. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was a bit of an uphill battle for you kind of just figuring out nutrition in general at an early age. Yeah, my, my battle with nutrition and, and my battle with health has really been one that I've been, uh, you know, fighting for for most of my life. Um, I think that it probably makes sense to at least mention that, you know, as a child, I was really overweight. Um, constantly in the 99th percentile whenever I'd visit the doctor. Um, You know, I was relatively athletic and I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, I ended up growing a little bit later than most kids. So kind of had a hard time finding my balance of understanding what food did for my body and understanding really how to unlock my body's ability to, um, you know, just perform in an athletic capacity. Um, I guess, you know, to reference, you know, sometimes that I've gone into periods of really solid health progress and then periods of really regressing out of that progress. Um, I really just found myself, you know, throughout college and my early 20s in just the constant state of flux. So I'd make really great progress for a few weeks. It would kind of be hanging by a thread and I would then lose it and, you know, struggle to, you know, find the the commitment to, to keep everything going. Um, so a couple of years ago, I, I got into uh, triathlons. I purchased my first road bike and I got into like the racing scene, I guess you would say. Um, and that really changed my relationship with fitness and my relationship with nutrition because I always had a date on the calendar. Um, so that made it different from the days that I was just trying to work out five or six days a week. Um, and having that ability to, to always have something that I was chasing for or preparing for um, really just allowed me to feel like an athlete and feel like somebody who was, you know, I might not be a professional athlete, but I at least sort of get to feel like one just by training towards a goal. Um, and that progression for me, as I, you know, bought that first road bike in February of 2019 now up through today has just been a a bunch of different variations of me finding small wins related to my nutrition, finding small wins for, you know, what I can do with my food to make me feel a little bit better um, physically and mentally, um, and just, I guess, ultimately a real progression from there. Yeah. It's interesting. You said something that popped into my head too, about just having like that, that date on the calendar. I know, uh, for me personally, that was one thing that, that the COVID, uh, here kind of really highlighted for me. And, and I do this professionally. And, uh, the thing about it was, I think just been with having 
such a long history of always having a date on the calendar. Essentially since high school, I've had a date of some sort of the, or another on the calendar and that I didn't really realize how much that probably incentivized really being paying a close attention to detail until that was more or less removed. And then it's just like, you do catch yourself thinking like, do I really need to kind of make that extra little sacrifice when there isn't this like pending uh, reason for it clearly on the calendar? So when I did, was able to put some stuff on the calendar and I realized that that kind of switch went right back on and the, the drive to kind of push that little bit of extra when you know you can versus uh, scale back because you know you can <laughs> was was a pretty interesting one for me to experience. So it's interesting that you kind of identified that early as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I love about having a date on the calendar is, you know, you can train and, and you can prepare as much as you want for that race or that event. But regardless of how your training goes, you know, you still show up and you still do it and you still take it down and you still cross the finish line. And to me, like that's been, I guess, like the mental side of, of the endurance training that I've really come to love um, is pairing, you know, the ability to push my body physically, but then also really understand what I'm capable of mentally um, and just kind of being able to break through some barriers that I think I had previously set for myself. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's been really foundational and it's really encouraged me to play with my nutrition. Um, you know, as I, I continue to want to perform better and go on longer runs and, and get to experience more of what the endurance scene has to offer. Um, you know, I'm just constantly getting more and more, you know, encouraged to learn how I can fuel my body and my mind best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One more question on the mind side of things before we kind of shift over to nutrition is one thing I find found really interesting kind of as I moved through the sport of ultra marathoning is uh, I would say early in my career, I could put a date on the calendar. And even if it was like four months out, maybe even six months out, I could kind of hyper-focus on that date. And that would keep a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, desire to train hard and really kind of get every little bit I could out of myself by just focusing on that end goal. And as I kind of got a little further into the sport, one thing I realized is there's, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, a better way, but for me, an easier way to do that. And that was like, rather than only fixating on that end goal, building in kind of benchmarks along the way. So if you're say focusing on a specific type of workout for a while, watching your progress develop in those and using those kind of smaller wins to try to really get you excited to do that workout again, or do the next workout and keep the curiosity and the, the early momentum kind of high versus tapering out is that something you've noticed too, or are you just so driven by that end product that uh, it kind of carries you through the whole process, regardless of how the the day-to-day -day goes? Yeah, I definitely love having like small wins along the way. Um, this past year was really my first year getting big into endurance training. And I was constantly having to adjust. I was trying to do a 70.3 and that was constantly changing with all of the, the cancellations and the deferrals. So I basically started to implement just some like weekly goals for myself. Um, one in specific that I remember was my first 50 mile week. Um, you know, I know that's nothing to you, but for somebody who uh, wasn't really a big runner, like taking down my first 50 mile week and just having to like actually plan that out. When was I going to do it around my work schedule? And I just remember taking down that final run and that just being such a motivating factor to me to just be like, wow, like I have never run this far in my life over this, you know, short period of time. And this win, you know, is a small win towards my greater goal, but like this win is pushing me forward significantly faster than I would have been if I'm just like, you know, it's the middle of June and I've got a, a September race date and today's another day of training. So I totally uh, kind of align with what you say about those smaller wins. Um, for me, it's all about just making it fun. And if mm -hmm. I can, and if I can get a, a, you know, some positive energy going in my direction, I think that's a great way to keep training moving forward. Yeah, that's a great attitude. I know uh, one story I usually share folks when they'll, they'll talk about like mileage and things like that is my, my first year of college, when I met with a, my cross country coach, he kind of just broke down the progression and it was something to the tune of our kind of like first year runners are usually targeting maybe 50 miles a week. Uh, sophomores are getting up to 60 juniors, you know, maybe 70, 80, and then, you know, 
a few of the seniors maybe even hit a hundred mile week during, you know, 90 to hundred mile weeks during summer training. And I just remember thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to run a 90 mile week. So <laughs> it's like, depending on where you are in the trajectory, it's like, you know, 50 mile weeks are hard when you haven't done a 50 mile week. And I can honestly tell you uh, when I did my first 50 mile week, that was probably a bigger challenge and a bigger sense of accomplishment to me at the time than if I just go out and run a hundred mile week now. So I think like the key to longevity in the sport is actually taking those steps in order versus hyper fixating on say, well, what's so-and-so doing? I need to get there as quickly as I can, where then you kind of try to, you know, like, I guess, macro stress your body is the way I kind of label it versus micro stress your body. And uh, it sounds like you're, you're kind of doing it the right way and not getting too carried away early on, which is great to hear. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fun approach that works for me. And, and I'm fortunate to have sort of found it. I don't want to say by accident, but sort of, you know, without intention and it's worked out so far. Cool. And uh, so let's talk about some nutrition stuff. Uh, what was, uh, maybe let's start from like the, the beginning. So you were, when you were young, you, you were probably unaware that you even had a relationship with food. I'm guessing. I know when I was young, I just thought food was food. And if I went to the mm-hmm. gas station and bought donuts and soda, that was, you know, food. Or if I went home and my mom cooked, uh, you know, a, a real meal, that, that was food too. So I didn't really think much about it. Uh, but then when I did start kind of getting more interested in running and taking it more seriously, I started looking around to like, well, what am I supposed to eat as an endurance athlete? And, and then you start kind of fine tuning things and asking these questions about why is this here versus that? And then you start kind of playing around. What was your entry to, uh, actually taking nutrition seriously? Yeah. So definitely as a kid and, you know, in my younger adolescent years, I guess, I never really understood anything about food. I just sort of ate whatever was available, never really thought too much about it. Um, Once I started to become more interested in fitness, uh, specifically like my senior year of high school was the first year that I actually got interested in working out and things like that, Um, eating a bit more clean. There were still a number of years that I really followed, you know, marketing and advertising and, you know, kind of just believing whatever's on the, the front of the label. Um, and that, you know, can obviously lead to progress being made, but it can also lead to, you know, the yo-yo effect that I sort of mentioned previously, where like it's sort of healthy stuff, but not totally healthy stuff. Um, so when I got into, you know, the endurance training and I started to recognize that I needed to fuel my body mid-workout. Um, as opposed to just going to the gym and not needing anything. Um, that definitely opened up a little bit of, a, of an awareness to me that there's certain food that's utilized more beneficially by the body. Um, so I think like more specifically to, you know, my nutrition path, um, I've really been focusing for a number of years now just on eating exclusively whole foods and, and real foods and just actually foods that come from the earth. But at the same point, like I still, you know, even within this past year would have like dessert options that would be just sort of like, you know, your standard, standard ice cream. My favorite ice cream was always Turkey Hill cookie dough. So I would just be taking that down and never like conscious of the ingredients that were in food. Um, So leading into the new year is when I kicked off the carnivore um, and and plant-based diet challenge. And that has really allowed me to hone in specifically on what goes into everything that I eat. And that's been the overall progression of it for me. Um, It's so funny when I talk to people about nutrition, because, you know, so many people see, you know, me eating healthy and kind of assume that I'm eating a a rigid and restrictive diet, but I don't feel that at all. I feel like I'm open to eat whatever I want. I'm just very intentional about the ingredients that go into that food, especially when it comes out of a bag. Um, so that's kind of my overall philosophy and, and a little bit of a history of where I've come from with eating. Um, I sort of forget your original question, but I think <laughs> no, you, you more or less answered. I just kind of, uh, was, uh, in, inquiring about kind of what, or when, when you kind of got interested in nutrition and kind of how that kind of played out. I know like for me, mine was definitely driven by endurance sports. So when you dive into that literature, you're going to find yourself moderate to high carbohydrate, a lot of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and that sort of thing. And, and that's where most people are going to start in that sport. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of my intro. I was just curious if like you had a driver that got you interested into it. And it sounded like it was just kind of health and fitness in general. Yeah, definitely just living and, and feeling healthier in general, but I started to get a lot smarter with it when I started with the endurance training, um, because that gave me a specific, you know, the, the mid workout fuel gave me a, a better way to understand how that would all operate. 
Yeah. And the other interesting thing I think I find about exercise and sport in general, because there's always kind of this debate or conversation about like, what is going to drive health, your diet or exercise, or can you have a crappy diet and exercise a lot and out train it and that sort of kind of conversation. And I think uh, a lot of it becomes more clear to people when they start pushing their body to its limit in whatever sport or activity that they really enjoy. And personally, I think finding that sport or activity you really enjoy is the greatest way to do it because it's going to almost ensure that you will push hard at some point because you like doing it. And when you kind of get yourself to that point, then you start paying more attention to how you feel within the context of certain foods and certain ingredients and things like that, because you just have a much better look at what it feels like when your body is being required to do a lot or do something really hard versus, you know, if I would decide to just quit running and, you know, sit on the couch and work a nine to five desk job, you know, I'm not asking my body to do anything super difficult. So I can throw a lot of junk at it and maybe not recognize as readily kind of how bad or or maybe as quickly how much that's affecting kind of the day to day. So I think that view of pushing hard and asking your body and then getting those data points so you know what you're capable of are a big step in the right direction for people finding out kind of what foods or what types of nutrition protocols are going to like jive best with with their personal lifestyle and kind of interests and things like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just think back to when I started to to go on longer runs. I mean, I didn't even have to increase the distance that that much. But like if I was running any amount over like, I would say probably an hour or so or a little bit more than an hour, um, like my, you know, I'd have major stomach problems if I did not have my nutrition dialed in. So it only took a run or two for me to realize, like, I got to figure this out. Otherwise, like, this just isn't going to be a fun experience for me. And I want to be doing this. So like, let's figure out what it is that's the right formula for me. Um, but you're totally spot on with the fact that, you know, you sort of have to push the body to, to be guided to recognize the need to know it. Um, if you're just sitting around all day, you know, the body can kind of do whatever it wants <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, let's jump into kind of your, your first interest in kind of this, the plant-based versus animal-based type stuff. We want to just share with our listeners kind of like what maybe spurred on that curiosity and then how you kind of decided to go about it. Yeah. So I have had the idea to test a carnivore and a plant-based diet for a little while now, maybe like a year or so. Um, It was just an idea that popped in my head. I mean, people are so, so passionate about both sides and without even reading into a ton of the literature on it, you know, you can clearly see that there are success stories in both directions. So to me, I was just sort of like, all right, well, like, let me just sort of figure out what's going on with these because I don't really know exactly what to believe based on just the success stories that are out there and then the critiques of the other that come from the other. Um, so it was ending up that it, uh, it was the, the end of last year was wrapping up and I was thinking about kicking it off in January. Um, I had seen some of Paul Saladino was doing the uh, animal based 30, his, his meat based challenge. And that was piquing some of my interest. And then I saw Joe Rogan post that he was doing carnivore for the month of January. And I was like, all right, like, I don't need another sign. I've been thinking about it. I'm on the doorstep. This is my push. Um, So I committed to doing carnivore for the month of January and then fully plant-based for the month of February. And the actual intention behind attacking this was really to learn about seed and vegetable oils. Um, when I originally started the challenge, I expected to eat fully carnivore in January. And then I thought when I was going to be eating plant-based in February, I thought that I was going to be eating, um, like fake meat alternatives and other processed foods like that, that are really marketed to the vegan community, but that are highly processed and include a ton of those seed and vegetable oils. Um, so that was really where my head was at originally, but that really wasn't with a ton of thought. Um, once I got closer to the, the month of February kicking off, I decided and and really learned a little bit more about a a plant-based diet and how I can successfully fuel myself without needing to ingest any of those fake meat alternatives that I then switched the plant-based diet to be a completely non-processed plant-based diet. So the challenge really started off as carnivore versus plant-based. 
But what I ended up taking away from it was really processed food eating versus non-processed food eating. Um, so that was kind of the original intention and the original approach and at least how I got into it. Cool. So uh, you did um, you did a little bit more of a thorough job than I think a lot of times people will do with these type of things. And uh, part of that included kind of getting some uh, blood panels done before was I think it was before and after each one or at least after each one. So and, I did them after each one. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then uh, and did you actually you actually documented some other things too, just like kind of how you felt and which one kind of produced better what would be like, like workout results essentially, right? Yeah, generally my workout results and just day-to-day function and, and cognitive function, um, I documented pretty well between the two. Okay, cool. So do you want to dive into a little bit of just kind of what you discovered with uh, kind of both those those arms of your, your N of one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess to start, I'll start with the carnivore one. Um, so on the carnivore diet, I guess, you know, my I'll, I'll first start off with my blood work, I suppose. So my total cholesterol, I I really was interested in my cholesterol levels and my triglycerides. Um, My total cholesterol on carnivore was 330. My LDL was 221. My HDL was 95. And my triglycerides were 44. So total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol high uh, compared to, you know, what would be perceived as good in the medical community. Um, HDL and triglycerides, uh, both within range, though, still. Um, what I thought was really interesting about that blood work, and and I'm not sure if you've seen any of Dave Feldman's work, um, but he has the lean mass hyper responder profile, which I ended up fitting exactly into. So from a lab perspective, I thought it was super interesting that, you know, a a normal doctor and, and my doctor immediately saw those and wanted my cholesterol to be coming down. But what David recognized and what I exactly fit into is that my high cholesterol levels, you know, are paired with somebody who's, you know, extremely lean, extremely active, extremely healthy and extremely fit. Um, And so what I really wanted to then understand was, you know, is that total cholesterol, is that really more of a function of just the fact that I'm operating on fat as fuel as opposed to any carb fueling? Um, And that's ultimately what I think was going on. Um, but that was just kind of a quick snippet on just the, the blood work that was taken out from it. Um, as for my physical results, I felt awesome on carnivore. Um, I felt better on carnivore than I did on plant-based for sure. Um, I had about a two week grace period, I guess I'd say where it took me a little bit of time to adjust into carnivore. Um, coming off of coffee was way harder than I would have expected. Um, if I had to do it a second time, I'd probably pay more attention to regulating my sleep. Um, and really making sure I was on a, a good sleep schedule. Um, my sleep and my recovery from my, my wearable metrics on my whoop were really strong, but I was still setting an alarm in the morning and getting up maybe earlier than my body wanted to. And I think that made some of the, um, you know, non-caffeinated situation really make me struggle a little bit more. Um, as for my overall, I, I guess, function on carnivore, I thought it was amazing that for the first time in my life, my body recognized when it was done needing food before my brain recognized that I needed to stop eating. So I would basically have a meal, you know, exclusively animal products. And all of a sudden I would feel full and I would feel satisfied before, you know, I had to think about maybe putting the fork down. And I just thought that was the most interesting thing ever. That was something that I have never experienced in my life before. Um, Like I said, I've struggled with my weight for, you know, most of my life and I've always been susceptible to overeating. So for me, all of a sudden being like, wow, when I'm having only animal products and only meat, you know, only protein and fat, like my body knows how to use this and it knows how much it needs. Um, I also thought it was really interesting that I basically had zero bloating for the entire month Um, and bloating, you know, as somebody who struggled with their weight, you know, my bloating has gone up, gone down. It's been really all over the place. So for the entire month to be basically, you know, feeling completely lean Um, without any real gut issues, I was just blown away. Um, and and I was really impressed and really encouraged, um, you know, by the way that my body felt on that. Um, as for, I guess I would say like cognitive function. So, like I said, a little bit of a two week grace period to get into it. But once I passed that two week mark, like I had really high and sustained energy levels all day, um, 
you know, just really felt clear, you know, basically from the time that I woke up to the time I went to bed, um, really limited stress or anything related to that. Um, you know, just overall my body, my mind felt really in sync and felt really strong together. Um, those are probably my biggest takeaways from the carnivore side of everything. Um, looking over to the plant-based side of everything. So my biggest takeaway from plant-based eating was ultimately the need for animal protein for me personally, and the impact that carbs can have on me mentally. So on carnivore, like I said, I was eating and then I was feeling naturally satisfied. Whereas on plant-based, it was really the exact opposite. My carbs were way off the charts and my protein was way down. Um, really any way to get protein on a plant-based diet is to have more carbs with it. Um, so my carb numbers were significantly higher. Um, I felt my, I felt like I was trying to continually chase protein and get more protein. And with that would just come more carbs. And then I would find that I would bloat a lot that would come with mental fatigue, um, and, and physical, you know, lethar I guess, leth lethargicness or lethargy, um, whatever the phrasing is there. Um, so that was probably the biggest takeaway from the plant-based side of everything. Um, I had really, really great results, um, you know, from a, a physical exercise standpoint and a day-to-day -day recovery standpoint um, on both diets. I measured everything on my WHOOP. Um, my recovery scores were, were really the best that they've ever been. Um, I cut, up, cut out alcohol completely on both diets. So I had a pretty clear indication of, of what was impacting me. Um, and my workouts on both were really strong. Um, you know, once I recognized that there was, you know, some significant bloating going on with plant-based, like I dialed that in a lot more. Um, it was just something that I was aware of. Um, but like I said, on, on the plant-based diet, I didn't have any processed food. So everything was made from scratch. Um, I did have a couple of things that came out of a, a bag or a box, but every time that they were, I made sure that they were exclusively real food ingredients um, I avoided seed oils and soy completely. Um, and ultimately, you know, I had really strong success on both diets. Um, you know, the plant-based side of things, you know, I decided that wasn't exactly for me. I, I think that I need animal protein and I function best when I do have it. Um, but my lab results on plant-based, I can read those off here. Those were, um, Let's see, on plant-based, my total cholesterol was 162, so down from 130 on carnivore. My LDL was 72, down from 221. HDL was 80, down from 95. And triglycerides were 35, down from 44. Um, so everything from like a modern medicine standpoint and what your doctor would wanna see on the plant-based diet was like right on cue. All of those fell within reference range. Awesome. Um you know, one thing, just, I think you actually made me misspoke. You said 130 on the total cholesterol for the carnivore. And I believe it was 330, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just for. Yeah, uh, it was th 330. If that was, if I said mm -hmm. that, but it was 330 on, on carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I find this so interesting because like, it is like this, it's almost like the, I mean, I guess it, maybe it makes sense. These diets are, are completely polar opposite and you know, what makes one really effective at a certain thing is kind of a weakness perhaps on the other, but then there's a trade-off. There's always trade-offs it seems. <laughs> so like, yeah. uh, and, and I find it interesting too, just in the sense that like uh, you see ranges even within them too. Like, I mean, take me for example, in 2019 was by far the most kind of animal-based centric I was in any, any uh, like just percentage range. I, I wasn't a hundred percent carnivore by any stretch, but there were phases fairly long phases that year where I was pushing up close to 90, sometimes 95% of my intake coming from, from animal products. And, and I did get blood work done during that. And I, I stayed in range. I definitely, my, my cholesterol definitely was more in the high side of the, the acceptable range, but I didn't peek over it. And it's, I don't know exactly whether that is just unique to me versus someone else, or if it had something to do with perhaps since I wasn't 100% carnivore, there may have been, you know, the, the small amount of plant products I had was helping with that, whether it be like, uh, you know, fiber, which can attach itself to cholesterol and essentially and, and lower that. So one of my big curiosities with this is if you're trying to kind of get the best of both worlds, 
in terms of staying within the medical guidelines of cholesterol, but also kind of get that way you felt on a strict carnivore diet is, is there enough room for some of the food products that will bring the cholesterol down without kind of reintroducing maybe some of the digestive issues or other things that are popping up. And my guess is it's going to be person to person, but uh, it, it makes me think that like most people are going to be on a spectrum of some plants and some animal products. And depending on who you are, may be dependent on whether you push up to like say 90% animal product versus 90% plant product or something like that. And then there's going to be these like small percentage of folks who just happen to thrive on the very strict stuff. So you get like maybe like 5% of the population or something like that who just happen to feel better when they're completely eliminating animal products. And you get folks on the other end of the spectrum who uh, they just got to cut out all the plant products if they want to feel like they can function in a, in a normal, optimal way. And uh, then the majority of people are going to feel are going to be somewhere in between there. And then it's just kind of like figuring out where you fit in that and and uh, just taking an honest look at it yourself without, without trying to confound it too much, which is incredibly difficult. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm super excited. I'm going to be getting my blood work done again um, at some point soon. And at the moment, I'm on a combination of both with still extremely high animal protein um, or, or just animal food. Um, but I really think that that increased LDL or, or that increased total cholesterol and that increased LDL is because I was having zero carbs. Um, I think that makes a huge difference. So I actually, if I were to, I probably will do carnivore again. Um, but I would be interested to have carnivore with like a little, like maybe like honey or something like that as a little bit of a carb to see how that would impact it. Um, because like I said, I mean, I felt so good on carnivore. Um, my resting heart rate actually went down. My HRV went up. So all indications of my metrics were that my body was operating with minimal inflammation, minimal stress. So the idea that increased cholesterol is causing more inflammation in the body, more plaque buildup, um, you know, within arteries and, and cells and whatnot. Um, you know, to me, I was just like, I don't totally see that this is happening. Like I felt fantastic on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then it, it, it makes it really, really tough because you're thinking to yourself, what do I do? If I want to feel this way, I want to, you know what it feels like to feel great. So <laughs> it's hard to pull away from that. Even if uh, the lab results tell you like, you know, you should be concerned and things like that. Hey folks, my friends at egg weights are supporting this episode of the human performance outliers podcast. If you're not familiar with them, egg weights makes a variety of ergonomic exercise equipment. They have options for boxing and martial arts training, full body workouts with their torque force and torque board, a massage toolkit, and my personal favorite, their running pods. Egg weights were tested in the University of Southern California Exercise Science Clinical Research Lab and have been proven to do things like activate your core during running, intensify your arm drive, correct poor running form, and more. I love to take my running pods out in the afternoon for easy paced runs where I can focus and work on proper form and mechanics. Having a small ergonomic weight in my hand helps correct my arms from swinging out or too far forward. It also prevents my core from relaxing too much through my gait cycle. The running pods come in a variety of weights and colors. They also just recently launched their youth pods, which will be a great tool for kids, youth sports, and coaches to help develop proper form and mechanics from an early age. Head over to eggweights.com, that's E-G-G-W-E-I-G-H-T-S.com, and click on the running tab to check them out. If you decide they are a tool for you, plug in promo code ZACH15, that's Z-A-C-H-1-5, for an extra 15% off your order. These links and the promo code can be found in the show notes. The other interesting uh, part of it too, I remember uh, Dave Feldman was interviewed by Dr. Peter Atia, and they were mm -hmm. kind of talking about this very topic. And Dr. Atia had mentioned that uh, he was working with, uh, with a client who kind of fit in that category. He was a, a lean mass hyper responder where his cholesterol was just off the charts uh, he wasn't following a carnivore diet. He was just kind of doing a more like saturated fat laden ketogenic diet. Um, mm -hmm. and just out of curiosity, they, they kind of just, they stuck to the macronutrient profile he was on, 
but they subbed out the saturated fats for monounsaturated fats. I believe they used like a lot of olive oil or something like that. And they noticed the cholesterol came down back into range just by doing that too. So it does seem like it really does come down to this topic of like, first of all, like is, is a diet like just with a ton of olive oil (laughs) versus whatever you're getting your fats from normally fit within something that is both maintainable and desirable enough, uh, uh, to, to work for you. And then do you feel as good on it? Uh, and, and, and are you willing to kind of play around with that sort of stuff too? So I guess if there's a question in there somewhere, I was like, are you going to, do you think you'll try kind of playing around with some of that stuff too, where maybe you get closer to zero carb, but with a different fat source and see what that does. And if you have a similar experience or feel different on it. Yeah. So basically what you're saying that they did is, is basically like, instead of having animal fats, they added in extra virgin olive oil as the primary fat source for the diet. And that brought cholesterol down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think they, they had specific numbers on the podcast where there was X number of grams of, of uh, saturated fat and a certain amount of cholesterol on average that, that the person had been consuming per day. And then uh, I, I believe they reduced the saturated fat intake down to like 15 or 20% of what they had been previously okay. and replaced the remainder with, uh, with an olive oil based. Uh, and that's what they saw or he saw that reduction there. So, um, okay. I haven't totally thought about that. Um, I guess the biggest thing that I'm interested in is just recognizing what a, a high animal protein diet would look like for my blood work that did have carbs. Um, one of my intentions with the carnivore diet, um, that I forgot to mention was just that like, you know, I, I really don't agree with the fact that red meat is so vilified, um, you know, across the country for, for all the health problems that I really think stem from those seed oils and and other additives and processed foods. Um, but that would be a really interesting, um, way to approach it. I suppose if I go ahead and get my blood work done and and the added carbs still haven't done anything or haven't done a ton, um, I guess I would suppose to look to that. I mean, I have plenty of olive oil. I've, I have a lot of coconut oil that I cook with. Um, I guess I would probably say that coconut oil is probably my primary cooking oil. Um, I still get a lot of fat from animal fat and I get a lot of fat from butter too. Um, but that's probably a good majority of my diet right now. Yeah. That's the other thing that kind of just, uh, makes it the whole topic a little more, a little more complicated is, uh, excuse me. (coughs) Sorry about that. Um, just like the different, the different products don't always yield the same results on those, on those test scores. So like, uh, there seems to be something unique about like a whole egg versus just like straight animal fat or the saturated fat that you're going to get that's in like dairy or what's the other one? I think, I think coconut oil might be the other one too, where it doesn't necessarily respond on the cholesterol scores, at least that we know of the same way uh, as the animal fats do. So there's like some sort of, it, it may be like, it, it makes you kind of think along the lines of what are we maybe removing or adding that is working synergistically to kind of keep things in range, but still having that product in place that, that we're missing here. And I think that's where it just also gets kind of equal parts interesting and I think confusing to people because people just want to hear like cholesterol, good, cholesterol, bad, saturated fat, good, saturated fat, bad. They don't want to necessarily hear, well, this type of saturated fat isn't going to negatively impact your, your blood panel, but this one will, because that just doesn't make sense in their minds, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, what, what is like the primary fat source that you take in these days? Uh, right now it's a pretty good blend of different, like I'll do like a fair bit of like olive oils and, uh, you know, salmon and eggs. I'll have, uh, definitely plenty of red meat. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot more fermenting with dairy recently, probably for the past couple of months. So that'll add a quite, or a fair bit of it in there as well. Um, some nut butters and things when the training kind of picks up a little bit as just kind of a low, uh, volume, high energy, uh, way to kind of boost the calories up a bit. So Mm -hmm. I'm right now I'm kind of like pretty balanced, I guess, across the spectrum of different fats. Uh, I haven't been like hyper focusing on one versus the other. And I'm just trying to maybe take a look at kind of how I feel with like just that variety in there versus, kind of going all the way to one end of the spectrum or the other, which is what I've kind of done in the past in terms of just kind of getting curious about those things. So um, yeah, the, the, the way to maybe understand my diet over the years, it's just been my macronutrient ratios have been pretty consistent 
based on where I'm in in training. Yeah, I'll go kind of strict keto uh, when I'm kind of in off season or lower volume, lower intensity stuff. And then as I kind of progress through training, I'll raise the carbohydrates up a bit. I'm, I'm usually probably like at the very most, I'll maybe hit 30% of my intake from carbohydrate. That's probably like a handful of days per year. More okay. that, I'm more probably between 10 to 20% when I'm kind of in like the, the thick of things training wise. And then what's made up those, those ratios, I should add proteins, usually 20% right around there. When I'm focusing a little more on animal products, they'll creep up to 30% just because there's hardly any way around it. Uh, when you, when you start focusing your intake on those sources, there's always protein tied to something. It seems like, unless you're just doing a lot of cooking with just like butter or, um, or tallow or something like that. So, uh, yeah. And then the remainder is usually fat. So then that can be anywhere from like 60 to 70% of my intake in most cases. And then what makes up what I've been pretty open to over the years. And kind of, like I said, in the beginning, I've done phases where I'm almost entirely plant-based, but not quite. And I've done mm-hmm. phases where I'm almost entirely animal-based, but not quite. Uh, so okay. like 90, 95% one way or the other. Uh, and that's been just, it's, it's interesting. I want to do another round of uh the plant-based side of things at some point because i did that one earlier enough it was like in i think the first half of 2016 if i don't mistake if i'm not mistaken and it was by far the worst i felt on a low carbohydrate diet so i i kind of dismissed it (laughs) pretty immediately low carb and plant-based not entirely i was probably like 90 percent plant and then like 10 percent of my intake was coming from like some sort of animal products and uh, usually like, a you know, a protein source more or less, just because I was trying to be mindful of making sure I was staying on top of that side of the, the equation. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, that was where I felt the worst out of all the different kind of variances I've done within those macronutrient ratios. So, uh, I was kind of quick to dismiss it. Uh, but I also, if I'm honest with myself, realized like I probably could have done a better job of it. So, mm-hmm. I'm curious enough to maybe give it another go for like, just say 30 days and kind of similar to what you did, perhaps uh, maybe not strict, strict hundred percent plant-based, but closer to that kind of 90% angle. Uh, but I'm going to wait. I've got a big project in September that uh, I, I'm running across the country. So <laughs> I don't want to screw up. <laughs> uh, yeah. I listened to uh, one of your recent episodes or one of your episodes with Rogan the other day. And uh, I heard you talking about that. So I wasn't sure with uh, all that's going on in the past year, where that fell in with the training, but you're doing that this September. Yeah. We're looking to kind of start on September 1st. So I'm probably not going to make any drastic dietary shifts between now and then, just because the name of the game with that is just not getting hurt, you know? So totally. I think you stick with what's kept you injury free until you get through that. But then after that, I'll have a little bit more of a, of a template to maybe play around with some nutritional, uh, hacking and whatnot. So, uh, perhaps the curiosity will flare up and I'll, I'll give that one a shot and see how I feel on it and see if I can maybe dial things in a little bit or, or, or now it, I'm, I'm sure I could find a, a plant-based enthusiast who will guide me along the way or something like that too. That would be kind of an interesting experiment to, to see if I see anything different than I did five years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned that, uh, you went, you know, probably 90% or so plant-based with 10% coming from animals. I, I found that the hardest thing on plant-based was just to find protein sources. Um, you know, I tapped into some pea protein powder and that was, uh, I think that has like a, a protein carb fat ratio of like 27 to one to one, which was shockingly good for, for plant-based, but everything else with, with plant-based is, you know, you look up what are the best protein sources on plant-based and all of a sudden, like the first few hits are like nuts or something else that's, you know, yes, it has protein in it, but it has more carbs. So, you know, to, to me, I'm like, that's not really a protein source if it is more primarily a carb source. Um, but that was just kind of one, you mentioned that. And that was one thing that I definitely thought was challenging on plant-based. Yeah. I think if you, if you're into getting say upwards to 20% or or even 15% of your intake from protein and you're looking to do it strict vegan. I I don't see a great way to navigate that without some sort of supplementation, which is fine if that's what you want to do. And, and, you know, you can afford to buy those products and things like that. But when it comes to, and I just talked to Ted Namian about this a couple episodes ago, it's like, if you're looking for a complete protein source that you can get essentially all protein from, 
I mean, you can't beat animal products. I mean, you can get, I mean, there's, there's a reason like, you know, the bodybuilders have looked at tilapia and chicken breasts when they're cutting, because it's like, I can get basically all protein complete without adding any fats or carbohydrates for the most part, other than super trace amounts. So I think like, that's where I think like it it gets interesting maybe when you go to a scenario where you're like 90% plant-based, but that other 10% are some like very lean uh, animal-based protein sources would maybe be the, like, you're essentially maybe trading out the plant-based protein powders and engineered fuel sources, uh, for some lean animal sources. And I'm curious if that would, uh, make that diet way more sustainable. Uh, we'll see if I'm curious enough to actually try it though. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's a curiosity to it. 30 days wasn't too bad. Um, yeah. You could probably handle it, but yeah, it's a, uh, certainly with a, a project on deck of running across the country, maybe not this year. Well, and the other thing I'll have to figure out how to navigate that I haven't found a good answer to yet too, is just that digest inside of thing. Because for me, similar to you, the best part of the primary animal based was I could eat a thousand calories and go and do a workout within an hour and not feel like I was like just bloated or like labored down with a bunch of food in my stomach. It just set, like, I could tell I was, like you said, I was satiated. My stomach wasn't asking for food, but it was still like, it still felt empty enough where I didn't like when I started running or if I started lifting, I didn't feel like, okay, this is going to come back up. If I do anything too drastic. Yeah, it's not shaking around. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It just kind of like settles in there on like unprovoking, unprovokingly. So, I mean, that was a huge side of that too, where like you could get the energy, I could get the energy and I needed. And I get that I'm kind of operating from a slightly different angle than a lot of people are. A lot of people are looking for like, how do I get my calories down so I can lose the extra 10 pounds or whatever it is where I'm looking like, how do I get enough in so that if I do this workout today, it doesn't tank me for tomorrow. So I can get in the most amount of training that I can physically recover from. Uh, and that, that kind of just puts you maybe in a little bit of a unique position. And that also means like, I'm more concerned about if I eat too many plants or too much fiber, just from the sheer volume of food I'm taking in during some of these peak training, like, like, I don't want to be going to the bathroom three or four times a day. And I certainly don't want to have to be stopping during runs and races to do that either, because that's just going to take away from kind of the performance side of things too. So there's, there's a, you know, I'll have to figure out a way to maybe do it in a way where I'm introducing some more calorie dense, lower fiber options, like, um, olive oils or something like that, I suppose, to, to try to mitigate that or see if I can replicate that kind of like low digestive issue feeling that, that I've seen from a lot of the animal-based community, uh, but with the context of being primarily plant-based and kind of see how that maybe, maybe shifts it, or if it does, you know, I guess only time can tell. Yeah, you mentioned digestion. That was one thing that was so interesting for me between the two diets. I felt like on carnivore, I felt like everything that I ate, my body like absorbed. Um, you know, I wasn't really having uh, big number twos or anything like that. Um, and I was eating a ton of food, obviously. And then when I went to plant based, I thought it was the exact opposite. Um, you know, much different situation when I was going to the bathroom. Um, I didn't really feel like my body was utilizing what I was having quite as much as it was on the animal side of everything. Um, I will say that I thought that the carnivore diet was really, really like a full cleanse for my body. Um, once I started to reintroduce, uh, plant products and and carbs, there was really no grace period where I really had to like, be really mindful of that transition. Like as soon as I looped those back in, like, I felt like my digestive tract was really clear. Um, you know, I felt like, you know, when I was going to the bathroom, it was very clean and very healthy. Um, but that was something that I know that Rogan has mentioned that, you know, I think he suggests that maybe 10 days or two weeks, um, you know, the bathroom situation is kind of messy on carnivore. And for me, that never changed. Like that was consistent the entire time. Um, but to me, it was just sort of telling me that my body is utilizing every part of this food that's coming in. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have like a two week period during carnivore where you were, well, what, how did Rogan phrase it? You can't trust a fart. <laughs> yeah, basically just diarrhea nonstop. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, I was basically having diarrhea all month, um, but it wasn't like bad or painful. Like when people hear of diarrhea, they're like, oh my God, you know, that sounds terrible, but um, you know, to me, it was just kind of a, a little bit of a messier situation. And I mean, 
being mindful and, and being understanding of, of the way that your body excretes food and excretes what you're eating is a super valuable way to understand, you know, how everything's working. Um, so that was really just what that had, had told me. I was really surprised. I thought that that would sort of curb after two weeks or so and, and maybe return to normal, but the whole month trucked on and it, it never returned to normal. That's interesting. I've heard a few different takes on that where one was that you're getting a little too high protein and that can cause that. And the other was just the complete elimination of fiber essentially sends the liquid through your digestive tract without anything to kind of tether it to. So like, I guess the fiber would normally like act like a sponge and kind of soak up that liquid. And it's going to come out as like the soft stool versus just the pure liquid or, or something like that. So, um, it is interesting that like that you, you it never cleared up for you though. Yeah, no. Someone did mention the, the fiber parts to me, and I thought that that might have you know that that piqued my interest that that you know might have been a factor. But like I said, it wasn't like bad or anything like that. Um, it was just very different than you know. There was really no time regulation with when I'd have to go to the bathroom, um, and it was just you know pretty wet. Like I said. Yeah. So that's the interesting thing too, I guess. Like, so it was pretty predictable for you then. It wasn't like a, a cause of, of a, it wasn't problematic. Like you would imagine uh, with Rogan's first couple of weeks where he was basically on alert every time, like, you know, at any point during the day. So <laughs> obviously that's not a good, a good spot to be in either. So like you want it to be consistent and you want it to be predictable. Uh, but yeah. I mean, there's, there's, it seems like there's plenty of things to iron out on what other, whatever direction you go with this stuff. Uh, there was something else I was going to ask about, about the, the digestion, but I'm, I'm blanking on it now. Uh, um, but yeah, I think, uh, just in general, I think you get, I'm curious, I am curious about what you mentioned before to just this, uh, this idea of kind of being, being a little bit more, uh, open to, say small amounts of something that would normally be like off, off the, the, the schedule, so to speak, or off the, the program to kind of balance things out a little bit and where that would end up going. Uh, did you, did you notice with your blood panels too, that there was anything else from like a micronutrient standpoint that stuck out to you as, Oh, this is clearly increasing this type of, uh, you know, nutrient from eating strictly animal-based versus plant-based, or if I stuck to this, I would see low levels of this surface at some point because I'm trending down or maybe dipping below like ideal ranges. Yeah. So everything else with my blood work was within range both times. Um, so there wasn't really anything else that stuck out. Um, I think that my white blood cell count might've been low a hair, but my doctor really wasn't concerned about that. Um, but there was nothing else that really jumped off the page that was sort of indicating that there was much of a a reaction from either diet, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I also thought it was really crazy. You know, when I was set out to, to take on this little diet challenge, like most people were like thinking that a month wouldn't be enough time to, to really see a difference. And it obviously was like the blood work looks like it's two different people and it was, you know, just 30 days of each. So um, I was pretty surprised how quickly the body reacted and, and really adapted to that different type of intake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some some clear variances there, which I think is interesting about your, your particular experiment. And I think the 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 extrapolation question I would have would be, do some of these things normalize a bit with more time? So like, does that total cholesterol stay up that high if you go strict carnivore uh, or um, does it kind of just taper back down a little bit? Uh, but I think there's probably been enough folks at this point that have fit in, in Dave Feldman's lean mass hyper responder category that have kind of answered that question to a degree where you see folks who have been doing it for a year plus, and, you know, they're still seeing kind of those really high numbers on there. So that would tell me perhaps not. Um, and it could just be entirely individual too, I guess. Yeah, no, I, um, I was really hopeful that the, the blood work would come back, you know, indicative that there was a difference and a change. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, there are so many people that fall under that, that lean mass hyperresponder profile that it, it seems a little predictable that, you know, once it goes to a certain level, there's not really the expectation that it would all of a sudden just drop out of nowhere without maybe a carb intake or, or another change in, in nutritional intake. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously something that could be extrapolated out. 
Yeah. And the other thing I was going to ask about too, is when you did these blood tests, did you do like a certain amount of fasting before you went in? Yeah. So just standard amount though. I think it was maybe, you know, 12 hours or, or whatever, mm-hmm. sort of a, a general amount. Um, I fast, you know, daily. Um, I, I pretty much always do 16, eight, sometimes a little longer. Um, so that was one sort of consistency throughout this. And I definitely think that that helped me um, with the carnivore diet. Um, I didn't really have much of a carnivore flu. Um, it took me a couple of days to just sort of get my sodium intakes right, uh, make sure I had the right electrolyte amounts, make sure my fat was up. I was not having enough fat at first. Um, but I think the fact that, you know, I've been doing that for a couple of years, the intermittent fasting and, and the fact that I'm, I'm pretty metabolically flexible probably helped me transition into carnivore pretty simply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. That's actually one thing I recognized too, when I was skewing more towards animal products was there didn't seem to be a limit on how much salt I could consume with, yeah. with seemingly no repercussions. Like if I even have like 20% carbohydrate in my diet and, you know, enough of the plant products where I'm getting a significant amount of fiber in my diet, if I'm adding a ton of salt, like, you know, I can, I, I can kind of push the needle up in terms of the amount of water my body kind of holds on to. But when it was just basically animal products, if I, I could just dump salt on and salt on, and it didn't just like, it didn't seem to kind of pull that water retention up at all. So is that kind of similar to what you saw too? Were you just like re- going real heavy on salt and not, and not seeing your weight fluctuate one way or the other that much? Yeah. So you said that you would find that you'd be able to basically have endless salt and that wouldn't really change the amount of water that your body would retain and and your weight would stay pretty balanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the exact same thing. I mean, from a weight perspective on the two diets, um, I dropped probably five pounds right away on carnivore, um, but it stayed really consistent at that. Um, I was down, I was pretty light on carnivore. I was down in like the 162, 165 range was really where I'd bounce between. Um, but yeah, I used a ton of salt. I mean, that was the only seasoning that I used. So I used plenty of it. Um, when I went over to plant-based, I immediately threw on a, a quick five pounds and, and I was around 169 or so um, on that and stayed pretty consistent with that. Um, that would fluctuate a little bit more sort of like with the bloating that I mentioned and, and just the, um, you know, the ability to overeat. Um But in general, those were the two kind of weight breakdowns of the two diets. I definitely pulled back on the salt a little bit, um, you know, when I ate on on a plant-based diet. But on the the carnivore side of things, yeah, it was basically, you know, the rule for salt is that if you think you've added too much, add more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was just an interesting. And part of it was perhaps I was kind of in the thick of it during the summer here in Phoenix. So, you know, there's, there's essentially an endless amount of water and electrolytes you can take in during this time of year without your body finding a kind of balance point at some point. So, uh, perhaps that play, I had some, some variables that, that I would need to account for with that too. But, um, it did, it did seem kind of interesting either way. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you was, I believe Dave Feldman and Dr. Spencer Nadolsky were, working on a lean mass hyper responder study that they were going to kind of look at that very question that we've kind of been bouncing around a bit on this podcast with like, is there like this subset of the population where if they stay true to like a saturated fat based diet in the absence of carbohydrate skew towards animal products, um, or at the very least, very strict ketogenic, which, you know, if you're getting really strict ketogenic, I would say most people probably are, dabbling at least in a fair bit of saturated fat. Um, I I don't see a lot of like olive oil connoisseurs in the, in the low carb community, although I'm sure they're out there and I'll hear from them now, but, uh, and I think it's maybe an interesting play on that diet going forward. But, uh, I, I, I think they were doing some sort of study with that, but I haven't seen if there are any results that came out with that, or if, uh, if there's a timeline on that, cause I think it'd be great to chat with those guys, obviously, once that does come out and hopefully maybe answer a few of the questions that have been bouncing around the low carb community and just the nutrition community in general over the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I agree. And I find that lean mass hyper responder profile so interesting because, you know, I think that when some people think about like the subset of the population, like, I don't think, I think that the subset really just means like, these are people that have um, you know, developed really strong physical fitness and have developed an interest in adapting a high fat, low carb diet. Like, I think that anybody could fall into that. 
Um, I don't think that I'm unique in, in my genetic makeup that leads me in that direction. I think it's just the fact that, you know, I've gotten myself in really strong shape and I committed to that diet and that's what naturally happened. Um, so to me, that all just sort of brings back to the question of like, I don't know, it just sheds some doubt for me over the idea of, of what a healthy cholesterol actually is and what that actually means for the body. Um, you know, I've got a lot more work that I could do on, on understanding the impact of cholesterol, but I know that cholesterol is necessary to produce testosterone. Um, you know, it's, it's necessary for a lot of bodily functions. So the idea of, of having an increased amount of cholesterol, um, I think it's a little unfortunate that most people just sort of freak out at that and immediately just want that down just because of, of a generalized reference range. Yeah. And I think I understand some of the frustration around some of this, but it, at the other side, the other part of it, it's like, if we're going to look at nutrition through a very strict lens that we're just assuming humans are eating, say like a moderate carbohydrate diet, and then kind of a balance between the fats and proteins after that, it, you know, that's, that is like one group of people and they are probably going to produce certain ranges that are optimal within that context. But when you drastically change that context and go zero carb or, or close to zero fat, if we bring the fruitarians and the low fat uh, vegans into the, the conversation, it's almost, it seems like there's, there's maybe at least some wiggle room into, in terms of what would be an optimal range for those groups uh, in some of these categories anyway. So hopefully it'll, you know, we'll be able to answer some of those questions. It just seems like, I mean, I feel bad for the nutrition researchers out there because it's almost impossible to control, control everything, at least at the human level uh, for obvious reasons. But, you know, they're left with this kind of unique situation in the sciences where uh, they have to try to guess at a huge portion of things in order to get any answers. And it's just their reality. And, and they get a lot of blowback for that. But at the end of the day, they're being asked to produce some, some guidance or some recommendations and it, it's ultimately going to make someone angry. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but cool. Yeah. Ryan, and you, you're not just, uh, uh, into nutrition and training things like that. You do some other things. You said you have a, you have a, a day job as well as some coaching service and things like that. You want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing when you're not out there training for triathlons and focusing in and dialing in your nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that uh, I know I live a decently normal life outside of the endurance sports that I found myself getting into. Um, I've worked in sales for the past six years, so I've got a, a sales related day job. Um, but I do also offer a, a coaching business um, that I recently launched. Um, so I've got a number of clients that we're working just to establish healthier lifestyles, um, all guys that want to shed some pounds, but ultimately just work to develop some healthier habits that allow them to live allow them to live more of a, an active, free and, and healthier life. Um, so I'm really pleased. I, I sort of feel like, you know, I've navigated these, these health and fitness waters myself over the past really 10 years, um, you know, since I first got into fitness and health. Um, and I, I've learned a lot along the way. I, I've really found, um, you know, huge fulfillment in being able to test this stuff on myself and, and actually finding some, some cold, hard facts that I can provide some data on. Um, like you mentioned, there's just so much out there that if you don't really know, you know, how your body reacts to things, it's very hard to know what's going to work best for you. Um, so I feel that I can, you know, now help coach people through, you know, making some more informed nutritional decisions, um, you know, looking at the back of the label as opposed to the front of the label, that kind of stuff. Um, I've got a wife, I've got a dog, we like to spend a lot of time outside, um, doing everything we can to uh, take advantage uh, of the great outdoors and, and spend some time on the trail, spend some time riding. So that's really what I'm up to, um, you know, for the most part. Awesome. And where can our listeners find you online, if anywhere? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ryan V. Dreyer. Um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, DryerSheets21. Um, I do have a website as well, RyanDreyer.net. Um, that's where you can find some information on my coaching packages and, and other things that I'm up to. But the social sites are, are active day to day. So if you're looking to find me or connect with me, I'm always responsive on there. So please feel free to hit me up. Yeah. And I think uh, Twitter's where I found you. And I think it was in, there's some interesting content over there. So folks, if you're interested in checking out Ryan's plant-based V carnivore N of one experiment, he's got a pretty cool thread on there kind of outlining kind of that process and some of what we talked about here today. Uh, but Ryan, thank you so much for taking some time out of what I can imagine is a busy schedule uh, to chat with me about this stuff. Yeah, no problem, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for hitting me up. Uh, super happy to have been on here today and, and can't wait to see it come out.
Awesome. Perfect. We'll maybe have to do a follow-up at some time when one of us dives into the end of one world again and comes up with a, a big wrench to throw in what we talked about today. Yeah, no, listen, I was looking to study more. I was looking to find more. I was looking to contradict what we thought we knew, right? <laughs> awesome, Ryan. Take care. All right. Take it easy. Hey, folks, I want to make a quick shout out to some of my personal athlete sponsors and offer all of you some discount options if you think my gear is also right for you. My shoe of choice, Ultra Footwear, is offering listeners 15% off. They make a foot-shaped, balanced, cushioned shoe that fits like a glove. S-Fuels is offering 5% off, and they are my go-to low-carb workout and lifestyle product of choice. Eggweights is offering 15% off their running form, strength work, and recovery products. Finally, Purpose Performance Wear is offering 10% off my favorite workout apparel, including my own signature series. So head over to zachbitter.com forward slash mygear or the profile link on my social media channels to check out these discounts and more. All right, folks, now back to the show. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. 